We have a special guest here this morning who uh, you guys are going to be so blessed by. Uh, Rob Morris has been with us for about 12 years, and he started a ministry about 15 years ago called Love 146, and it's with child trafficking and uh, just has a heart uh, for these children, and uh, you're going to experience it this morning, uh, but would you guys give Rob Morris a huge welcome as he comes up to minister? Uh, good morning. It's good to be back. Um, this is like a highlight for me every year coming, coming back here, and I was thinking about it um, when I was flying here uh, yesterday, that uh, Love 146 is now, f- we were 15 years old. We celebrated our 15th birthday last month. It was in 2002. So 15 years old. Believe it or not, in the, in the, in the anti-trafficking movement, that's old. It's just crazy. Um, and you guys have been in it with us for a good chunk of that journey. And so you were looking at, as a church, how to address this horrific um, uh, injustice of the trafficking and exploitation of children long before most people even knew what it was. So thank you for, for embracing that. And, and it never ceases to amaze me that every time I come here, somebody reminds me of the first time that I ever came to The Rock, which was many years ago. You were in a different building, um, and I literally came in like a whirlwind in that I had many flights that were delayed getting here. Um, when I landed in uh, the airport in Denver, uh, the service had already started. Um, Pastor JR was, was texting me like, dude, we're already worshiping. There's no way you're going to get here in time. And, and I think I may have like set a land speed record. And I just remember driving thinking, I'm, I know I'm going to get a ticket. I didn't get a ticket. Um, when you're in the will of God, somehow he shields... Um, <laughs> That's not true. Um, but anyway, but I do remember, like, literally, worship ended, and Pastor JR was trying to figure, I guess, what was going to happen next. And they, I came bursting through the doors of physics. This is not an exaggeration. I ran down the, the aisle of the church, got behind the pulpit, and with um, completely out of breath, like, I, I would have raised my hand that day if that word then was for, um, that would have been me. Um, and... So I entered your lives as a whirlwind, and you embraced Love 146 and our mission to end the trafficking and exploitation of children. So thank you for so many years ago for opening your arms uh, to, uh, to that and for being such a crucial piece of that. Since then, our work, um, those of you who are not familiar with Love 146, I'll be out back at a table to answer any questions. Um, I'm I'm not going to go into great detail, but we are working toward ending the trafficking and exploitation of children. We do that first by prevention work. Most of that prevention work is actually here in the United States. We've been able to uh, reach almost 20,000 children in the United States of America alone. You've helped make that um, a reality. And we also care for survivors, children that have been trafficked and exploited and have been rescued. We care uh, for survivors. We, we do that in, um, in Asia as well as in the UK, um, here in the United States as well. And then just literally since the last time I was here, we've now launched a prevention program into Africa, specifically in West Africa and Liberia, and then also in, in Mozambique. So we're expanding. You enable us to be able to do that through, um, through your generosity. So thank you. 
uh, for that. If you're interested in getting more involved, here's some quick ways. I always get asked that question, well, how can we get more involved? Here are some really practical things. I would assume that most people in this room are praying type people. Um, we have a way that you can engage in praying specifically for the issue of, tra of the trafficking and exploitation of children, as well as the work that we're doing uh, to stop it from happening. And so we have a text to pray um, system set up that if you text uh, this number, and, and I'll tell it if you want to, if you're not writing it down now or on your cell phone now, you can hit me out back later. Um, but if you text uh, to 411247, again, that's 411, I feel like a commercial, um, 247, if you text the words love146 to that number, once or twice a month, you'll get, and some of you are, actually quite a few of you from this church actually are part of our um, global prayer team, that what we'll do is if there's, usually it's an emergency type situation, something's happening right now, could you pray? And we send a prayer text out to our prayer warriors all over the world and people begin to pray. And then maybe uh, w once a month or so, maybe, maybe more often, depending on the situation, sometimes you'll just get a celebratory type text saying, thank you for your prayers, this is what happened. So we'd love for you to be involved in that if you text Love 146 to the number 411247. You could be a part of that. We depend a lot on our monthly partners, people that want to give. There's, there's people in this church that do that on a monthly basis. Thank you for that. It's what sustains our work, the, uh, that we know that there's funding that we can count on. It helps us strategize. It helps us create budgets so we know what we're working with. It's what has enabled us to expand the work that we're doing because we know what's coming. So if you want to be, um, become a part of our monthly partners who are, are a bit of the inner circle, uh, we would love for you to consider being part of that. And I have information out back. And then we also um, invite people that really this issue really resonates with you to get more involved and you want to get more hands-on. We have volunteer teams all over the place and we specifically have a volunteer team uh, right in your area that was originally birthed out of this church. People um, in this church, it still exists, it's expanded. These are people that are addressing trafficking, not overseas so much, but right here in your own community, in your own uh, uh, region. So if you want to be part of something like that, there's already one in existence, you can just join it. If you're interested, there's a sign-up sheet out at the table that you can get um, as well. So all that to say, I'm glad to be with you. I almost wasn't I, in, in contacting Alan a while back uh, about the possibility of coming. I sort of put it on the radar saying, hey, as far as I'm concerned, I'm coming, but there is a possibility. How many of you were here last year when I spoke? Anybody? Quite a, quite a few. Um, you maybe remember that I was talking about that we were in the process of adopting a new daughter. We have six kids, soon to be seven. Our five youngest are adopted, and we were in the midst of a two-year process of adopting a little girl from Vietnam with Down syndrome. And I introduced her to you last year on a screen and saying that, man, we're longing for her, her to come home. And um, we were expecting to potentially travel during this time. So I told Alan, I, I may have to pull the plug. And at the last minute, we have to be in Vietnam for three weeks. So we may or may not be able to, to, to make it. Um, so, and then, so we've been sitting on pins and needles. And literally last week, we got a call from our agency saying, how quickly are you able to travel with notice, and I said, man, we'll go tonight. We've been waiting for so long, we could go tonight. Um, she says, well, the, the call should be coming any day now. Um, so, yeah, so outside of the pleasure of being in Vietnam right now, this is the next best place to be. So and I'm glad I am, I, I am here. But can, please continue to keep us in prayer. With that, we should be getting that call any day, and we'll be able to, to bring her home, and she'll be, become part of our, our family. Last year when I was here, I talked to you about a concept that I called defiant hope. And I talked about how um, 
in the days that we're living in, I find people all over the place, whether you're people of faith or not, people are struggling to stay hopeful. People are struggling with cynicism and despair, and it just seems to be this growing thing. And so to be hopeful anymore is actually practicing an act of defiance, that in the face of despair, in the face of cynicism, in the face of, of violence and what looks like increasing terrorism and racism and all that, to be hopeful is an actual act of defiance. It's pushing against that. It's not optimism. I talked about that, that optimism is just kind of like, hey, everything's going to turn out okay. That's not what we were talking about. We were talking about something that was connected to action, saying that through my action, I can actually change what looks like hopelessness, something that looks like despair or whatever, I can actually change that through my action. There's an act of defiance there. Defiance is such an interesting word. Growing up, I was always sort of like, it was always used as a negative thing, right? I, if I had a dollar for every time a teacher called me defiant when I was in school, I would be really, really wealthy now. And then my parents, you know, you're, you know, don't be so defiant. It was always this negative thing. But man, I'm capturing that word again and attaching it to hope. And it's actually a really powerful and beautiful thing that practicing hope is an act of defiance. Well, over the last year, I've been finding this key piece of that, that, that's helping me do this on a more regular basis. And oftentimes when I come to The Rock, you'll find that I'm not coming as an expert with, hey, here are the steps to this, step one, steps two, and, and you got it, right? I, I, I'm not going to write a book like that ever. Um, you find me oftentimes in the midst of my own journey, and I'm sharing with you some, some of the things that I'm learning on my journey. And so these are some of the things I've been learning over the last year, but specifically linked to becoming a defiantly hopeful per person. What, is, what helps me with that is an understanding of the power of proximity. So this morning, I really wanted to talk about the power of proximity to um, basically change us to transform us. And what I mean by proximity, I think today we live in a day and age where we have the illusion of proximity, but it's not real. You know, I travel, I, I, I commute to where our U.S. headquarters is every day by bus. I take the bus back and forth, back and forth. And I don't think there's a day that I'm not sitting on the bus and I look around the bus and everybody's down like this in, with their devices. Nobody's looking at each other anymore eye to eye. It's all on the devices that, that, that we hold in our hands and everything. And, and, and that's, in fact, we, people joke about it now, right? And there's the sense of like being connected through things called technology, social media, and all of this. But it's an illusion of proximity. I'm talking this morning about physical proximity, the power of physical proximity, not false proximity as it's represented. And we think we have proximity because we comment on somebody's blog or, or we put a little heart on somebody's Instagram and everything. And it makes us feel like we're connected. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. So we're going to talk about what real, the power of real proximity um, looks like. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is proximity to God, the power of proximity to God to transform us. Now, I don't know about you, but there... This is a daily devotional. I do not use daily devotionals just because they don't work for me. I'm not anti-daily devotionals. So if, you, if you use a daily devotional, please don't take this as like a, a slam or a knock. I think it's fantastic for, for most people. But for me, daily devotionals have never quite worked because I find that I start playing head, game, head games with daily devotionals. You know, So if I miss a few days in my daily devotional, I feel really super guilty about it. And so then sometimes what I'll do is I'll even like read a few days in advance in case I miss a couple of days, whatever I feel like I'm all, I'm all good. 
that. It's all, it's all good. I find, and I'm like, why am I even doing this? This is just like playing, playing head games with myself. Um, but this particular daily devotional I have used, um, and, it's, and it's just one of my favorite little books, actually, by one of my favorite authors, a guy by the name of Frederick Buechner. Um, and it's a devotional called Listening to Your Life. And I don't know about you, but I do this weird thing. When I get a daily devotional, um, I'll look up my birthday to see if there's a special word from the Lord on the day that I was born. Anybody else do that? Okay, I'm not, I'm, I'm not alone there. You guys are all like, yeah, yeah. So I looked up my birthday, and sure enough, there was a special word from the Lord. Um, and my birthday is June 16th, um, born in the good year of 1962. And it says this, and, and, and you guys... The power of proximity to interrupt our, the chaos and, and, and just um, noise of our everyday lives is so powerful. You know, when you think about what your everyday life looks like, the commotion of all of the 24-7 news and our access to 24-7 news and all of our social media accounts and our daily work, going to work or going to school, whatever, our interactions, there's just commotion and chaos. And I think sometimes if I, if I could say that God is doing anything in the world today, especially in this country, I feel like God's calling us back to proximity with himself. That in the midst of the chaos and the craziness and the commotion of our lives, he's calling us into intimacy, proximity, come closer, come closer, come closer. It's not, now it's becoming like a survival thing. If you want to survive, come closer, come closer. And this really speaks to that. It says this, the story of Christ is where we all started from. Though we've come so far since then that there are times when you'd hardly know it to listen to us and when we hardly know it even ourselves. The story of Christ is what once, somehow, and somewhere we came to Christ through. Maybe it happened little by little, a face coming slowly into focus that we'd been looking at for a long time without really seeing it. A voice gradually making itself heard among many other voices, and in such a way that we couldn't help listening after a while, couldn't help trying somehow, in some unsatisfactory way, to answer. Or maybe there was more drama to it than that. A sudden catch of the breath at the sound of his name on somebody's lips at a moment we weren't expecting it. A sudden welling up of tears out of a place where we didn't think any tears were. Each of us has a tale to tell if we would only tell it. But however it happened, it comes to seem a long time ago and a long way away. And so many things have happened since. So many books read, so many sermons heard or preached, so much life lived that to be reminded at this stage of the game of the story of Jesus, where we all started, is like being suddenly called by your childhood name, when you have all but forgotten your childhood name, and maybe your childhood too. I think God wants to remind us what this whole thing is about. It is about proximity with himself and the power to transform us in that place of proximity. There's a great passage in the Word of God in, in Luke that sort of shows this picture of, of the, the, the chaos and, 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 and craziness and the commotion of everyday life and, 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 and the power of proximity to, to interrupt that. And it's the story of, the, of after Jesus had been crucified. He's been resurrected yet, but not all the, the disciples don't know this. And there's a couple of the disciples that are walking devastated 
on the road to a town where they were going to have dinner, a place called Emmaus. Remember this story? And they're walking along and they're just absolutely gutted by what happened to Jesus. All the hopes and the dreams that he placed in them, they saw dashed as he was killed. And so they're absolutely in despair, struggling with what their lives look like now and what has just happened in the midst of that, even the grieving of losing their good friend. And as they're walking along, it says that Jesus, who had been resurrected, comes up alongside of them, and um, they, it says that they didn't recognize him. How many of you ever been in that place where the, whatever you're going through in your life, man, sometimes you just don't even see his presence in the midst of it? Whether it's despair or grief or wherever you might be in your own mess of things, sometimes we're unaware of his actual presence immersed in that mess. And that's where these guys were at. It says that they were kept from recognizing him and he comes up alongside of them. And I love when Jesus does stuff like this. He looks at them and he goes, hey, what are you guys talking about? As if he didn't know, right? And they look at him and, and they look at him like he's clueless, right? They're like, okay, you're not from around here, are you? That you have no idea what's been happening in Jerusalem this week? Everybody here knows what went down in Jerusalem this week with the trial and the crucifixion of someone who claimed to be the son of God, God in the flesh. You don't know. So, so Jesus plays along with them and he's like, really? What things? And they start to explain to him everything that had happened to him during this week. This is a seven-mile journey, you guys. Can you imagine how Jesus was struggling keeping a straight face? As they're explaining, well, there was this man, Jesus, he was from Nazareth. He was great in word and deed and did many miracles. And they're telling, and he's just going along with it. Really? Wow. He sounds like some guy. Wow. And as they're walking along, maybe Jesus got to a place of like, man, we've been walking for seven miles and you still don't know it's me. So he finally interrupts them. He looks at them and he says, how foolish you guys are not to have believed all what the prophets had said concerning this man, Jesus. And now they're looking at him like, what things? You, Jesus, how many times do you see the word again, Jesus said to his disciples over and over and over again? Again, Jesus explained. So here he goes again, explaining to them, and he goes right through all the, 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 all the prophets, what they said concerning and predicting who Jesus was going to be and what was going to go down. And they're thinking, this guy knows a lot about Jesus. <laughs> Amazing. Right? Then finally, they must have come to a fork in the road because it actually says this. It says, they were going out to go to dinner, and it says, Jesus acted as if he were going to go on further. The word acting there means pretended. He knew what was going to go down here, right? But he's acting. He's like, all right, you guys, I'm going this way. See you later. It's been great, right? And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Man, we're going to go have some dinner and stuff. Can you join us and our other friends and everything? I think they'd find you fascinating too. Now, this is the Rob Morris paraphrase version, okay? And Jesus is like, okay. So he goes and he has dinner with them. And you guys know the rest of the story, right? As they sit down, Jesus does something really familiar. Takes the bread and he breaks it. And it's a trigger. And it says they immediately recognized him. And then he immediately vanished out of their sight. <laughs> This is a bad day, you guys, all right? First, they have no idea it's him. Then it's like, oh, it's him, and then poof, gone again. But it's what they say to each other after he was gone that is so powerful. They look at each other, and they say, man, did not our hearts burn within us when we were walking with him 
along that way, that seven-mile journey, was something happening in you? Was something something familiar that we felt? It all makes sense, and there's something so powerful there of a scene of proximity. When is the last time your heart burned within you for the Son of God? That there was that, that you have that kind of proximity with him that something is flaming um, inside of you. You see that power of proximity happening with those disciples. You know, I remember when we brought our, our uh, we have a daughter who we adopted from China way, way back in the, in the 90s. And when she came to us, she was two years old, she was completely blind in one of her eyes. And, and um, one of the therapies that we were given to give to her was that many hours throughout each day, we had to patch her good eye to try to force the brain to send signals to her bad eye to potentially restore some sight there. And after some time of doing it, it was horrific because most of the day she was rendered completely blind, but eventually recovered about four inches of sight in her bad eye. But when she got that four inches of sight, it was heartbreaking to watch her even to eat a meal when she was patched because her patch would be on and to see what she was eating, she'd have to put her eye like right down to the food to be able to see her food um, and, and to eat the food. In fact, I remember a couple times as a family, what we would all do is we would wear eye patches at dinner time and stuff to sort of like, you know, be in the same boat with her. And I don't know if you ever tried to do that, but man, I was like, I remember stabbing myself in the face and stuff with a fork and she'd sit there laughing her little head off. Um, uh, but what was really interesting was during that time, if we went into a crowded room, if I had brought her in here today with me, you would see that she would be terrified because she would hear a lot of unfamiliar voices but unable to recognize anybody. And so she would be scared to death. And when we first brought her home from China, when we would go into a crowded room full of people and everything, everybody wanted to meet our new daughter. A lot of them had to do, they were praying for us to be able to bring her home. They prayed for years. And, and, and so when we would bring her to a, to a place, people, oh my gosh, let me hold her and stuff. And they would pick her up and my daughter would freeze and stiffen like a board, which created a very awkward moment for whoever was holding her, because that's not a normal reaction when you pick up a child. Normally, they just kind of enfold into you, right? They would pick her up, and because she didn't recognize them, she would do this, and they would be holding this stiffened, board-like child, and she would be trying to figure out who it was that was that was holding her. So she would take her face, and she would put her face like right up to their face with her eye looking, trying to figure out who it was. It was really awkward. And they would put her down, just sort of like, oh, she's a special little child. <laughs> so I remember the first time I saw this happen, um, and, and, and to kind of, I, I want to backtrack a little bit on this in that when it comes to proximity, I think we think, oh, we spend, if we put enough hours in, that's proximity. But it's deeper than that. It's more than that. I, rem- I would spend my prayer times with God. Most of my prayer times look like this. Oh, God, work in my life. Work in my life, work in my life. And that was what it looked like. I was so aware of the stuff that needed work on. Do you know what I'm talking about here? God, there's this area of my life. There's this thing, there's that. God, work in my life. And I remember one time doing that. I was sitting on the back porch of a trailer in East Texas. And I'm like, God, this is my quiet time. Work in my life, work in my life. And I heard this still small voice internally saying, would you stop that? I'm like, what? 
Would you stop that? That's all I ever hear when we're together. Work in my life, work in my life, work. I am working in your life. That's what I do. You don't have to spend all your time with me begging me to work in your life. That's what I do. And it was just, and he reminded me of that passage that says that he that has begun a good work in you promises to fulfill that work to the point when you see him face to face. And it was like this realization, I've spent all my time with him, just like begging him to, in fact, I remember feeling like God was saying, listen, you could spend all your time with me if you want, begging me not to work in your life, and I'm still gonna work in your life, ha! (laughs) And I realized what a colossal waste of time those times were. And I'm like, so God, what should these times look like? And I felt like God was like, man, I just want you to seek my face. How many of you are analytical by nature in here? Lots of you. It's a curse and a blessing. Most of the time a curse, it seems. Right? Where you got to figure everything out. So when I'm hearing the Lord, like, impressing on me, man, I want you to seek my face, I kick right into, well, what does that mean? What does it mean to seek God's face? Do I picture a face when I pray and, 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 and meditate on that face? If so, who, whose face am I picturing? Whose face do you picture when you sing worship songs to Jesus? Most of you are picturing an actor that played him in a movie like The Passion of the Christ or, or Jesus of Nazareth or whatever. You're picturing that guy. It's an actor. Um, so who, so is that, what does it mean to seek your face? What face? Crickets. Don't you love that too? When God answers you in silence. Nothing. Until that night, when I was standing there with my daughter and I saw her get terrified. And I picked her up. And the same thing, she didn't know it was me picking her up. And I held her in my arms and she did the stiff board thing. Like, who is it that has me? And sure enough, here comes her face. Here comes her face getting closer and closer with that eye searching, who is this, who is this? And as soon as she recognized that it was me, her whole body just melted into just completely embracing my embrace the way it should be because she knew it's my dad, it's my father. And I remember in that moment, that still small voice going, that's what I meant. Seek my face. Come closer. Proximity. Proximity. Come closer. Come closer. And in that place, even fear dissipates. That's what proximity with God looks like. You know, I remember uh, talking, how do you do that? How do you foster that proximity? Another lesson that I learned from one of my kids, my, my, my son Micah, my, my son Micah now is six foot three, the strapping uh, 17 year old. But at one time he was just a little guy. And when he was a really little guy, I remember putting him to bed one night because we were having a party at my house with some adults and we were all hanging out together. And all my kids went to bed. And then somewhere late at night in the middle of this party, um, I hear my son calling me from upstairs. I hear little Micah in his room going, Dad, Dad. I'm like, hang on, guys, I want to go up, see what's going on with my son. I run upstairs. I go into my my son's dark room. I'm like, Michael, what's up, man? What's going on? Like that. And he goes like this. Can we talk? (laughs) I was like, what? What is that? It's like something, what he said at this little kid going, can we talk? I'm like, um, what do you want to talk about? And he's like, trucks. I'm like, trucks? Michael, there's a party downstairs and stuff. I got friends downstairs. Why do you want to talk about trucks now? I'll never forget this. He looks at me, he goes, because I just want to be with you. (laughs) You guys are amazing. First service, same thing. You you are fantastic with the, aw. Just feel I just want to go in and just get hugs. Um, (laughs) Exactly. Needless to say, I never made it down to the party for the rest of the night. I sat 
on the floor with my son in his dark room talking trucks all night. Why? Because he just wanted to be with me, man. And I think, I wonder if that's the way God feels. That instead of us coming to him with our agendas, instead of coming with all our stuff, what would it look like if we come into our times with God? And it's like, and God's like, man, is there a country you want to intercede for? Is there an unreached people? No, no, there isn't. Is there a healing? Is there unsaved friends or love? No, no, I, I just want to be with you. What that must do to the heart of God. What? You just want to be with me? That's proximity. That's where intimacy happens, and that's where transformation begins to take place in those places. And you see it. I mean, you see it in, in, in Paul, the apostle. After 40 years of following Jesus, 40 years, man, this, is guy, this guy's been in it. He writes these words in Philippians. He says, I've come down to this. My one desire is that I might write three quarters of the New Testament. <laughs> no, he never said that. My one desire is that I might lead thousands of people to Christ. No, he never said that. My one desire is that I might, um, you know, see healings take place and the miracles happen. No, he didn't say any of that. He said, my one desire is that I might know him. In other words, my one desire is that I would have proximity to him. In fact, the amplified version of the Bible says it beautifully. It says, he says, my one desire is that I may progressively become more intimately acquainted with him. Man, that is awesome. That's after 40 years, the romance hasn't, hasn't fallen away, hasn't dropped off. He's still thirsty for proximity. I want proximity. And it's in that place of proximity that Paul finds his power. So interesting to me. You know, you see John, the beloved, the one whom Jesus loved. You know who, who gave him that title? Himself. I love that. I always thought Jesus called him that. No. He walked around like, I'm the one that he loves. John was into proximity with Jesus to the point that the last dinner they have together, who's the one with his heart, his head right on the heartbeat of Jesus so that he would know the things that Jesus loved. He knew the things that would break that heart because he had proximity to him. Proximity has the power to transform us. You know, I drove by a, a, a sign in my neighborhood some months back, and it basically said this, and maybe you've seen them in some neighborhoods around here that just said, drive like your children live here. You see that? And I immediately slowed down and then felt really convicted. What was that? Why did all of a sudden I start being more intentional about being careful? Just because I'm going to do this if my children lived here. Proximity. When we think about proximity, not just to God, we then have to think about who did Jesus have proximity with? Who, did, who was Jesus um, close to? Where was intimacy happening? And it wasn't just within the context of his followers, but man, Jesus had proximity to who? The marginalized in the communities. The other, especially the other that the religious community considered other. Jesus actually drew close to. Isn't that interesting? Can we be marked by that same kind of proximity? Are we close? Do we have proximity to the other? I want to read something to you by 
Brian Stevenson. I don't know if you're familiar with Brian Stevenson, but if you've never read the book Just Mercy, I highly recommend the book Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. He also gives a phenomenal TED Talk. But he says this about proximity. The first thing I believe you have to do is that you have to commit to getting proximate to the places in our nation and in our world where there's suffering, abuse, and neglect. Many of you have been taught your whole lives that there are parts of the community where the schools don't work very well. If there are sections of the community where there's lots of violence or abuse or despair or neglect, you should stay as far away from those parts of town as possible. Today, I want to urge you to do the opposite. I think you need to get closer to the parts of the communities where you live where there's suffering and abuse and neglect. I want you to choose to get closer. We have people trying to solve problems from a distance, and their solutions don't work. Because until you get close, you don't understand the nuances, the complexities, and the details of those problems. And I am persuaded that there is actually power in proximity. When you get close, you understand things that you cannot understand from a distance. I love that. Think about it. I mean, there's even little tools on real estate um, sites when you're looking for a place to live where you can find out what... Um, what the schools are like, what the criminal population is like, what sort of, and you usually, those tools exist so that you don't move there. I suggest to you that Jesus may have something else in mind. I suggest to you that maybe there's a power to actually drawing close to those places that looks like the kingdom of God coming into those places. You know, you think about expressions that we use, keep an arm's distance. I was brought up with that kind of, man, keep an arm's distance from those people. You know, or, or expressions like when something bad happens or something horrifying happens, what happens? We sometimes will say this, especially when it's nearby or has proximity to us. Wow, that hit a little too close to home. It should. Suffering should. We should never insulate and isolate ourselves from the pain of our neighbor to the point that we have to make a statement like, wow, that was a little... It should be expected that the pain of my neighbor hits close to home. That should be an expectation, not an exception. The power of proximity to transform us. How does it transform us? I'm going to give you a quick list and we'll wrap it up. And again, this is not an exhaustive list, but I'm finding these are areas that I've seen transformation happening in my own life, and I think it connects to becoming a defiantly hopeful person. This is how the, the uh, proximity transforms. Proximity dispels fear. Again, like I mentioned before, come closer and fear dissipates. You know, I have a friend who um, years ago uh, began uh, a, a ministry and an outreach to people's people without homes, um, people who are homeless. And he said, when I first started that, he goes, I was terrified. Because he, he goes, those people back then scared me. I thought maybe they're violent. Maybe there's mental illness. Maybe there's, you know, uh, uh, people who are on drugs and, and all of that. He goes, I was so afraid. He goes, the first time my church did an outreach to the homeless, he goes, I was terrified. I felt like I have nothing in common with these people. And he goes, until I actually began to have proximity to them. And this is what ended up happening, is at some point he stopped seeing them with a label called the homeless, and he began seeing them as human beings. He began seeing them as image bearers of 
God. And it changed everything. You guys, the other are image bearers of God. And God calls us into proximity. I love that. And now, he, he, goes, he goes, it was so strange. He goes, I was afraid for nothing. He goes, my fears were, were there was no bias for them. Proximity dispels fear. Proximity comforts. Right? Think about times in your life when you needed comforting. It usually wasn't the right words that somebody came up with that comforted you. When you were grieving or you were heartbroken and stuff, it wasn't somebody saying, giving you a quick fix, you know, hey, just remember, Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for good for those that love the Lord. Go in peace. You are like, oh, thank you. <laughs> what transformed you in those places was somebody who had the courage to get close. People in my life who've showed up without the right answers but dared enough to become close and enter into my heartbreak. Proximity is what changed me, what brought healing. It's why we even do these things with laying on of hands. It's about proximity. It's not a distant prayer. It's when somebody puts their arm around you or a hand on you. It's something that happens. It's not a magic trick. It's proximity. And there's power there in proximity. Proximity comforts. And dare enough to enter into each other's pain, man. Forget the quick fix Bible verses like take two of these and call me in the morning. You know? It doesn't, doesn't bring the same comfort that proximity um, brings. Proximity destroys assumptions. I've been amazed over the last year. Things that I've assumed about the other have not been correct. And I've learned that not by reading a book, but I've learned that by drawing close and coming into and being intentional about who I'm becoming um, or coming into proximity with. And some of my assumptions have been obliterated. Proximity fosters understanding. All of a sudden, it goes beyond assumptions and everything, and you begin to understand. I have a friend of mine who's a pastor, and he was telling me the story about how there was a guy in his church um, that was really trying to encourage him as a pastor and, and, and as a church to really get involved in uh, the refugee crisis. And, and, I, and, I, and I live in, a, in what is in a city that is known to be a sanctuary city. So we have a, a large refugee population. And he says, this is a church, man. This is a responsibility, refugees and, and all of that. There's a lot of verses that talk about, you know, welcoming the stranger and all. And, he, and this guy in his church was one of these, like, really, like, and he says, man, this guy was like a thorn and like, you know, we should be doing something. We should be doing something. And he said, and I was sort of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, it's kind of controversial. It's kind of, I'm not sure. This, but how everybody feels. And so he just, I just sort of kept it. And this pastor was being super honest. And he goes, and one day my friend said, hey, I'm having dinner with some friends tonight. I'd love for you to come. And he goes, so I went with my friend, and he didn't know until I got there that it was a, 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 a refugee family, a Muslim refugee family. <laughs> so he's like, he goes, he's tricked me into going to dinner. And, and he goes, and he, so he gave me this quick little, little like, hey, this is what you don't do. This is what you don't say. And, and all of that and everything. So these are the cultural things that you need to be concerned about when you go in and all that. He goes, so I went in there and he goes, and we're sitting, we're, we're having conversations. We're having um, uh, dinner together. And at one point in the dinner, the father, um, who was a, a refugee, a Muslim refugee, um, just starts to weep. And he goes, all I could think of is like, Oh man, I made a big mistake. I said something wrong. 
I've said something to offend this poor guy and his whole family and stuff to the point the guy is in tears at the dinner table. And so he goes, so I, I'm, I'm like, are you okay? Is it something that I said? And he said, the father looks up at me and he says, no. He goes, I am just so moved and honored by your presence in my home that you, as a Christian pastor, would come into my home and break bread with me. Thank you. These are tears of gratitude. He said, Rob, I was transformed. It was understanding that came into the place of where there only was assumptions before. Proximity transforms us. Proximity fuels intimacy. Again, talking about intimacy with God. Proximity grows humility. You realize that as you get closer and closer, there's a lot of things I don't know. What a release. It's, I'm going to set you free this morning. You don't have to know everything. I feel good. Does that feel good as a pastor, right? You don't have to know it all. And there's no greater freedom. Tell me as pastors, right? There's no greater freedom at times to be able to say when somebody comes in and, and, and expecting it to be able to say, I don't know. And you're just like, oh. and actually, that's not only freedom for you, but it's freedom for the person like, oh, I'm so glad that you're like me. <laughs> it's okay not to know everything. Proximity will reveal your lack of knowledge. Then the important thing is, is to have a posture of a learner. I mean, you guys do these mission trips and stuff all the time. Greatest piece of advice I was ever given going into, a, into another culture, and I think it works here when it comes to, even in this country, when we're, when we're looking at the other, they said, either you go as a learner or you go as an offender. <sighs> Have a posture toward learning and understanding. Power of proximity will help with that. Proximity creates mercy and tenderness. You know, over the last year or so, as I've been more and more intentional about uh, of wh who I'm having proximity with, I'm finding that my heart is getting softer and softer, that I'm becoming a more tender-hearted per person. Uh, like, like, like people that know me almost joke about it at times. Like, like my, my kid, my, like I, I can cry now. At the, like I cry at Disney movies. I, I was telling the church earlier, I was at Wonder Woman with all my daughters this summer watching Wonder Woman. I've got tears coming down my face at Wonder Woman. I was so, I've just had this, this growing tender heart as I've become more intentional of the people that I'm having proximity to. Proximity creates mercy and tenderness. And man, could we use a few more people that are merciful, that are tender-hearted in the world that we're living in right now, I think we could. Proximity creates empathy. You know, I know a, a lady who, a well-known uh, evangelical leader who said that, man, she was in the Middle East and she was, found herself sitting in a shipping container with refugee moms who had just escaped horrific violence in their countries, actually to the point where they, were, they had kids in the shipping container. It was blazing hot in the shipping container. They were sitting there in first time feeling any kind of safety, but lamenting and brokenhearted over the fact in reality that they had four kids back in the country they were escaping violence from, and they only had two arms to carry two children, and they had to decide which two children that they would save. And this well-known evangelical leader who did not necessarily care much about refugees or things like that and everything before, all of a sudden was in, man. Why? Because now she had proximity to something that only before was an issue or a news headline 
Now it's real life. I'm weeping with mothers in a hot shipping container. Creates empathy. Proximity disrupts. It'll disrupt your life. It'll disrupt, it'll disrupt unjust systems and structures. Proximity is scandalous. It's, it, it can offend. It can be dangerous. Look at Jesus. Remember how many times did you have the religious community like, Jesus, do you have any idea who you're eating with? Jesus, do you have any idea who that is that's touching you? Jesus, do you have any idea whose house you're going to? It was, it was offensive, scandalous. The scandal of Jesus was who he had proximity with. And the crazy insane thing was the scandal existed within the religious community. The people who thought they were right. Proximity. Be scandalous. Ah, it's good. <laughs> Proximity inspires action. Because then you have to act. Can't be the same. When I stood in a brothel 15 years ago in this undercover investigation, and an issue and a cause now had a face, a human face, five feet from me, children waiting to be sold and abused. Proximity created action. That became this thing now called level six. Proximity creates action. You know, think about it, you guys, the way proximity affects our lives. We didn't think much in this country about terrorism before 9-11. Wasn't like terrorism was invented on 9-11. Most countries in the world have dealt with it for a long, long, long time. But when we all of a sudden had proximity, what happened? Changed everything. We experience it now even in airports every day. I don't remember even what life was like before. Proximity changed everything. I didn't care much about, to be honest, gun violence. Till back, I believe it was 2012. There's a little town right near me called Sandy Hook. 20 children taken from us, six adults. Proximity caused me to care. Who cares about the environment? People who are in droughts in Africa. It doesn't affect us. It's because we don't have proximity. Not that we don't care, we just don't have proximity. When you think about the poor, in Jesus saying, the poor you'll have with you was not a default, like don't worry about them. It was like, man, you've seen who I've had proximity with, so it's just a given that as my followers, the poor will be with you. You'll have proximity to them. The disabled, the LGBT community, the abused, refugees, whatever it might be, proximity to, the, to marginalized groups and who, especially within the religious community, are considered other changes us and transforms us. We should be marked by proximity to the poor instead of the powerful. I find people all the time now, Christians, clamoring for power. We want a seat at the powerful table. And I get it. Motivations is to change it. We want to make, make it look more like, you know, or whatever and everything, but there's this clamoring, and even to the point of compromising values that you would have thought 20 years ago would never have been compromised for a clamoring for power, I would challenge us to say that, man, actually, we should be moving in the other direction. Because Jesus did not have proximity to the powerful or sought proximity to the powerful. He sought proximity to the powerless. 
because he was about something different, which is called the kingdom of God, bringing the kingdom of God. And the first people who are recipients of that are the powerless, the marginalized, who would we consider the other? Could you stand with me? I was telling somebody earlier that even when it comes to to race issues, I have a mixed race family. And I've had to have conversations with my 17-year-old, six-foot-three black son that I never had to have with my white son. And it shreds me. stuff. To, I didn't even think about that stuff. But proximity, even within the context of my own family, has transformed me and is continuing to transform. Proximity to God, close enough to hear his heartbeat. Who do you care about? What do you think about this? What do you think about this power? What do you think about this group? And all of that is transforming, but we have to be intentional about it, and that's what'll change the whole deal. Thank God that we belong to a God of proximity, right? Coming into Christmas season here, right? I don't wanna rush things. Coming into Christmas season, where we celebrate what God did to come close. He didn't have to. He immersed himself. We are the other. (laughs) We are the other. So unlike the Trinity. And instead of being separate, what happens? I want proximity. A proximity. And this baby shows up stable to a poor family. Wow. God instill that in us. Burn that into our very being so we would not be distracted by the pull of power, pull of being right. But God, we would find ourselves being with you enough that we would hear your very heart. And so we would look and act more like you. In Jesus' name.